And Father, that is completely true. That Father, you have overcome. There is none like you. There is none who can stand beside you nor can stand against you. You and you alone, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the name at which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether we have come to realize that in this life or that will be the first time that we admit that completely, that day is coming. And Father, I pray right now as your word goes forth, I pray you would find hearts that are humble to come under its authority. Father, I pray right now for a spirit of teachability. I pray for a spirit of desire for you, hearts that hunger for you and long for you, knowing that you have given us all we need for life and godliness, and we would do well to pay attention today. Father, may it be so. Remove distractions from this place, and I pray the cry of our heart right now would be that Christ is enough for me. I can leave the distractions of this week at the door. I can lay them at the foot of the cross today. Jesus, would you speak to me by your spirit? Father, I ask for that today. Would you do a work that will last into eternity? Not by our might, not by our power, but by your spirit. Guard my mouth against error and say what you want to say. In the awesome, matchless, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful to be here with you today. We have a saying in this church that maybe you've heard right now, and it is this. It is never just another Sunday. Amen? You ever heard that before? And we believe that uh, God is at work and doing a new thing, and by that very truth, uh, he expects and wants to do a new thing here among us today. And so let's get our hearts ready and willing to come under his word. We are three messages away from the end of our series of 1 John. Verse by verse, line by line, since September we've been going through it. And here we are on the home stretch, the final sprint. And the the title of this morning's message is The Testimony of God. And as I said last week, as now we are in chapter 5, everything that John has been exhorting the church in Turkey in, everything he's been exhorting them in is coming to this climax. It is all building towards this. We started in the first five verses last week, and now he continues with the testimony concerning the Son of God. Verses 6 to 12 of chapter 5. And if you do not have a Bible with you, you are going to want to follow along today. So make sure you put your hand up high and our ushers are coming forward right now because they're going to put a copy of God's word in your hand. And if you don't have one at home, please make sure to take that as a gift from us so you can continue to study God's word on your own. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. And as you're turning there... um, I have a question for you that's going to set the tone for the rest of this message. And I'm going to be quite frank with you, loved ones. It is one of the most, if not the most important question of your life. Ready? Here it is. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? If I could say that in a different way. Who is Jesus to you? I see a lot of different faces in here today. And I pray 
that this is a question that is resonating in your heart. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? And, and okay, I'm going to follow that up on this, is what testimony, whose testimony are you basing that on? Is it based on who God says he is, God the Father says his son is, or is it based on who this world says he is? Or is it based on what another person who told you something about this guy called Jesus, who he says or she says he is? Whose testimony is your belief based on? We live in an age where you can get tons of information at the click of a mouse, with opinions on everything, giving testimony to what is quote-unquote true. This is one truth we cannot have the wrong testimony about. Now, you look at that word testimony, let's make sure we're all on the same page of what that means. You'll see it on the screen. Testimony is this, the dictionary says, it is evidence or proof provided by the existence of someone or something. It is evidence or proof provided by the existence of someone or something. If I could say that a different way, it's this. The statement of declaration of a witness. The statement of declaration of a witness. How many times in society today does someone say, so this is what happened? You're like, yeah, did you see it? Well, no, but I heard about who Christ is instead of who God says he is. His own father. Okay, I can describe my children... Better than anyone. Why? Because I'm their father. All right, so if you want to find out what my kids are like, ask me. I'm going to me. Okay? But the result of this, in listening to more about what the world says about who Christ is, more and more people are being led astray and deceived about the person and work of Christ. And as such, are being led to think that they have a right belief in him, when they do not. And you say, well, wait a second, why is this so important? Why, why would this be so important that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would devote an entire section to this? And it is this. I love how commentator Stephen Cole put this. You'll see it on the screen. He says, authentic Christian faith rests on God's testimony to the person of Jesus Christ. Bullseye. Authentic Christian faith rests on God's testimony to the person of Jesus Christ. Who God says he is. Who God says his son is. And if I could sum that up, it is this. Without a right understanding or belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ based on who God, his father, says he is, you cannot have a genuine Christian faith. That's a sobering statement. Just let that sit there for a moment. You cannot have a genuine Christian faith if what you believe about Jesus Christ is not based on what God has said about him. And here in this text, John wants to leave the believers. He's leaving them. He's finishing the letter. He wants to leave them with an absolute assurance of not only who the true Christ Jesus really is, but also the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation that all who come to him We'll have in him. Again, final chapter. John's like, okay, loved ones, if I can leave you with anything, it's time. We gotta get this. We have to get this so you know for sure. And he states one of the clearest testimonies of the deity of Jesus Christ by giving us God's own testimony of who he says his son really is. If I could sum that up, I'd say it this way. This section of text is like God's own apologetic for who his son Jesus Christ really is. The person that he is and the work that he did. 
This is God's own defense of his son. We better pay attention to this. And so much so that all throughout these six verses, he uses the word testimony ten times. Ten times in various forms. And why is he, why is he exhorting them so much in this? Well, remember, remember, why John's writing this letter, the false teachers of the day, the Gnostics, were deceiving many people in the church by preaching a false gospel, attacking the person and work of Christ, and ultimately leading people to believe that salvation was to be found outside of Christ or in addition to Christ because they were saying he wasn't both fully God and fully man. And look around us, loved ones, the same thing is happening today. We have ideas of Jesus being just a prophet. We have ideas of being, oh, he's just a man. He was just some fictional character. But he wasn't God. Don't call him God. And here John gives us the two foundational truths that we must embrace, loved ones. We must embrace if we are to understand who Jesus Christ truly is and understand the eternal implications of how we choose to respond to him. And to honor God's word and its authority, let's stand as we read these verses together. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 6, testimony concerning the Son of God. John says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne or testified concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God has testified to us about his Son, Jesus Christ. Point one is this, you must receive his testimony through his witnesses. God has testified to us about his son, Jesus Christ. You must receive his testimony through his witnesses. Look at verses 6 to 8 again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three Agree. So let's look at verse 6. The he that John is speaking of here is Jesus Christ. This is he. This is Jesus Christ that came. Now, don't, uh, don't skip over that word came. Circle that because here's the Greek for that. It means this. He came from one place to another. Okay, Indicating that Jesus came from heaven and entered into humanity. He came from heaven itself, entering into humanity, and he's emphasizing right here the the fact that Jesus Christ was fully God coming from heaven, and yet he's coming into humanity. He's becoming on fully man as well. He's taking on human form, the incarnation. And then John goes on to state how Jesus came. How does it say? He came by water and blood. Okay. 
These are the first two witnesses God uses that give testimony to the true person and work of Christ. Okay, look at witness number one. This is a courtroom setting, by the way. Do you see how John's writing this? It's a courtroom setting. He's like, gather your witnesses. Here they come. Here they come. Witness number one. Water. Water. This is the symbol of Jesus Christ's baptism. Okay, the, symbol, the symbolism there is his baptism. And what his baptism showed, or the testimony of this witness, is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, a little reminder for us. For those of you who have a baptism service coming up, Lord willing, in a month or so, and you'll see, people will get into this tank and they will give their testimony of their faith they've made, the repentance of sin they've had, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they will be immersed in water. They go down to represent their death to their old self, and they rise up again out of that water to symbolize the new nature that they now have in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing, though. Only for Jesus Christ, because he was sinless, why was he getting baptized? He didn't have to be baptized for any repentance of sin with John the Baptist. He didn't have to be baptized to show that he was a new nature in Christ. He, he was God himself. But Jesus Christ, through his baptism, was giving a public declaration of the start of his mission to save mankind from their sins and to fulfill all righteousness. It's, notice where John starts. The start of Jesus' ministry. The first witness. His baptism. The public declaration of it. Now look at what Matthew 3, 16 and 17 say. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water. There he is being raised up. And behold, look at this. The heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God. That is the Holy Spirit. Descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The voice of God the Father declaring who Jesus Christ was. God's own witness of his, of his son, his own testimony. It was at Jesus' baptism that we see very clearly the declaration or the witness of God that Jesus was his son. And if the declaration of God, now that you think about this, some people are like, well, you know, that's what God said. Listen, listen. If the declaration of God himself wasn't enough, the physical presence of the Holy Spirit that came down like a dove and rested upon Christ gave visible evidence that Jesus was indeed his son and had been anointed by him for his ministry. God was anointing Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus was also fully man. Fully God and fully man. He needed the same power that you and I need today to live a righteous life. The evidence that God gives here is both verbal and visible. That Jesus is the Son of God. And this event was so important. Notice this. The Gospels have different accounts of different things, right? right? But this event was so important. It's no wonder it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all mention that because of the significance of this declaration, this testimony, first testimony, first witness, the water, Jesus is the Son of God. Second witness, here it is, blood, the symbol of Christ's death on the cross and the sacrifice for sin. Now look at where John takes this. He's got the symbol, the witness of his baptism, of who God says Jesus was. Now he takes us all the way to the end of Jesus' ministry, and he takes us to the cross. What is this testimony's witness? Here it is. 
Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the son of God at the cross. We see he's the savior of the world. Now, how do we know this? Well, look at that Greek word there. This is he who came by water and blood. You know what word they use for blood there? It's not like, ow, I pricked my finger and I'm bleeding. The Greek word behind that is this, shed blood by which people can be purified and cleansed from the guilt of sin. That's a loaded word. Shed blood by which people can be purified and cleansed from the guilt of sin. This atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins paid the penalty for our sin, yours and mine, marked the completion of his earthly ministry to die for the sins of the world. Remember, baptism marked the public declaration of the start of it to fulfill all righteousness. And here he is at the cross, the next testimony of God saying, it is finished. Awesome. Awesome. And here, God again provides a clear witness or evidence of who Jesus was and the work he accomplished to save us from our sins. Notice what he does here. I'm going to get you to turn to Matthew 27. Okay, Flip over to Matthew 27. It's the very first book of the New Testament. Okay, Matthew chapter 27. And God affirmed his witness of the work of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who saved us from our sins with supernatural signs and wonders to confirm it. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to start at verse 51. Start at verse 51. So here's what happened. Jesus Christ has just been crucified. He is now dead. He suffered. He paid the penalty for our sin. He suffered the wrath of God, which you and I deserved. And now look what happens. God uses to confirm this work. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the first sign God gives, the first witness he gives that Jesus Christ was the son of God, the savior of the world. This temple was in, or this curtain was in the temple and it separated the holy of holies where only the priest could go one time a year from the rest of the temple. All right, the Holy of Holies, in the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. It symbolized the presence of God. And if you were to go in there, you would die because of the holiness of God that was in that place. But what is symbolized here as the, as the curtain is torn in two, all of a sudden, what we see here is that Jesus Christ paid that penalty for our sin that you and I deserve, and now through him, we have access to approach the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God himself. Sign number one, temple torn in. And it's not just like this little curtain. I wish I, wish I could have found a good picture of it. It stretches from the top. It's huge. Torn in two. Second sign, verse 51, keep reading. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Earthquake. Temple curtain torn. Rocks split. The earth shakes. See what's happening here? Now look, if that wasn't enough, let's check out verse 52 and 53 to see the next sign. This one blew my head this week. The tombs also were opened. What? The tombs are open. And many bodies of the saints, that is those who feared the Lord and loved God, who had fallen asleep or died, were raised. Huh? And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, that is when Jesus was raised from the dead, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. How much clearer can we get? 
How much farther does God need to go to say, this is my son. He is the only savior. I'm going to raise people from the dead to declare that. And then if that wasn't enough, just keep reading. You'll see Matthew 27, 54 on the screen. Then the the Lord uses the mouths of hardened Roman soldiers who were literally standing at the foot of the cross, crucifying Jesus to give the final declaration and testimony of who he was. Look at verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, look at this, they were filled with awe. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. No doubt. These were the most hardened men in Rome, in the military. They saw it. They couldn't deny it. Truly, he was the Son of God. Awesome. But here's the thing. Witness number one is baptism. Witness number two is blood. But God's not done yet. He gives us a third witness, if that wasn't enough. And it is this. Witness number three, the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. And the testimony of the Holy Spirit is this. Jesus is who God the Father says he is. He confirms everything that says this is true. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that confirms in our lives this word. The word of God is true. It is sure. And he points us to that. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that is given to every person the moment they repent of their sin and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is the seal. He is the guarantee of our salvation that the moment we repent of our sin, God gives him to us and then by his power in us, we are more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and he confirms the truth of God's word. We can't understand God's word without him even. They are spiritually discerned. He is the internal witness that is continually leading people to the truth of the person and work of Christ as the Son of God and Savior. And hey, Holy Spirit, here's his whole mission. Whole mission, loved ones. The whole mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ and lead us into all truth about him. That's his whole mission. To glorify Christ in our lives and to lead us. You say, well, how do you know that? John 15, 26. Jesus tells us. You'll see it on the screen. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, Jesus tells his disciples, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You know what that means? He's going to tell the truth about me. He's going to confirm the truth of who God the Father says I am, who I say I am. The Holy Spirit will confirm it. I love how Pastor James Merritt, he puts it this way. You'll see it on the screen. I love this. The witness of the Spirit is God's witness to us, in us, and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points towards the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. Just as the, think of a compass, just as the arrow of a compass always points north, the Spirit of God will always point to Jesus. Literally, the Spirit of God himself pointing us to the Son of God and confirming the truth about him in us. And after giving this, you know what happens 
You see what happens next? Go back to 1 John chapter 5. This is he who came by water, blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. That means confirms, because he is the Spirit of truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Okay, don't miss that. Why is that significant? These three agree. Spirit, water, blood, all giving the same testimony. Because after giving these three witnesses, John makes this distinction that all agree, or are the Greek word there is unified. They're all saying the same thing. They're all saying the same thing. And this is important because since the Old Testament law was written and what has now been carried into the New Testament, there always had to be at least two witnesses in agreement to establish a charge or to support a claim that was being made. So ever since Old Testament law, there had to be at least two witnesses in agreement in order to establish that something that was being said is true. Okay? God goes beyond that. He gives three. To add the exclamation point. If there were at least two, the claim was deemed to be true. Like, think about this in a courtroom. We see this today. Try to get as many witnesses as you can. But there's still, even you can get all the witnesses you want. But are they going to really be totally unified on what they're saying? Are they going to get all the details right? Are they going to confirm that everything's true? God says these three are all unified. There's no question. This is a done deal. Unified. Complete agreement. John leaves no doubt who Jesus is as the Son of God and only Savior of the world who came to earth. He came to pay the penalty for our sin and died on that cross for you and me, that if we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, we will have eternal life in him. There's no disagreement. And John goes on to say in verse 9, look at verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne or testified concerning his Son, See, if we are willing, like, think about this, loved ones. Think what John says. If we are willing to receive or accept the testimony of man about things, let's go on the internet and I'll just say that the news that I'm reading is true. I'll just accept the testimony. If we are willing to accept the testimony of man about things, how much more should we receive the testimony of God about who he says his son is? If we're so quick to take people's opinions man-wise, horizontally, hey, what about what I'm saying? How much more? I'm greater than that. I love how one commentator puts it this way. He says, normally, you'll see it on the screen, normally we accept human testimony as reasonable individuals. We receive the word of others as trustworthy unless we have reasons to doubt the individual's honesty. If we receive the testimony of fallible human beings, then there is no valid reason for doubting God's testimony. Why? Because every one of God's words proves true. It is the truth. God is the truth. Because it is greater, it is more reliable and trustworthy, more demanding of our acceptance. So how about you? Have you received or accepted the testimony of God about his son, Jesus Christ? Have you received that testimony You've seen the evidence, loved ones. This is just a snapshot of the three John mentions here. You've seen the evidence. You've heard who God says his son is. Now, how will you respond to that? How will you respond to that? There's only, hey, loved ones, I'm just going to break it down real simple. Bare bones. There's only two ways 
You could either accept it or reject it. There's no, well, I'll accept part of it as long as it's working for me, but I'll reject the rest. You can't. It's one of two options. Receive, accept, or reject. And in love, I'm going to say this because I love you so much, church. What we see here is that if you are rejecting or denying Jesus Christ, here it is, the issue is not with the evidence given from him. The issue is not with the evidence that is given from him. The issue comes down to an unbelieving heart in you and a lack of wanting to see the evidence. His evidence is crystal clear. And if that's you here today, and I will say this, if you truly, loved ones, if you truly want God, if you truly want God to confirm that this is true, Maybe you're here searching, you've heard about Jesus here, but I'm not, I'm not there, I haven't surrendered my life to him. If you're truly wanting God to confirm this to you, that this is true, I encourage you right now to pray this. Lord, I want to accept it. I want to believe it's true. Open my eyes to see the truth of your son. Right now, right where you sit. You don't have to clean yourself up. You can't earn this. Right now, just pray that simple prayer. Lord, I want to believe this is true. That resonation in my heart right now, that searching, I've been asking the questions and and this evidence is so clear. I want to believe it's true. Open my eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit to see your son for who he truly is. And the moment you do that, God will reveal himself and confirm it. And if you have received Jesus Christ and you've surrendered your life to him, my question for you is this. Are you living with confidence in the Lord that your faith is not in vain? That your faith is not in vain. That the evidence is so clear and that the Holy Spirit is 100% committed to leading you into an ever-deepening and growing intimacy with Christ and the truth of who he is. Are you living with that confidence that God's word will not fail? It will defend itself. It will prove itself. It will. People have been trying to remove God's word off bookshelves for thousands of years. And it's still here. And it's still the most popular book in the world. Are we living with confidence that your faith is on me? Are you taking time to thank him that he's made it so clear? If we are tempted to wander, we are prone to wander, he brings us back to his word by his Holy Spirit. And there's the power of the Spirit saying, this is true, you can trust it. What God says is true, you can trust it. What confidence we have. God has testified to us about his son, Jesus Christ. You must receive his testimony through his witnesses, loved ones. And once you accept his testimony is true, you see very quickly that, here's our last point today, ready? You see very quickly that you must believe in his son for eternal life. You must believe in his son 
for eternal life. Verses, look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. John now finishes with the consequences of our choice to whether or not we will believe in Jesus Christ and who he says he is. The word believes there, notice in verse 10, whoever believes, the Greek word for believes is this, has trust or confidence or faith in, puts their faith in him as their Lord and Savior and has a personal relationship with him. John says that for all who have that personal relationship, the Holy Spirit within them is continuing to confirm the truth of Jesus Christ within them and is changing them more into his image. However, however, know this, loved ones, this is a warning that John gives here too. However, for those who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he is the Son of God, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved from our sin. For those who reject what God has spoken through his word and his witnesses about Jesus Christ, here it is, ready? It is tantamount, loved ones, to nothing less than this. It is tantamount to making God out to be a liar and provoking him to his face. You're, just unpack this. You are literally saying, by being rejecting, or maybe sitting here just being indifferent, like, who cares? Who cares? I just want to live my life, man. By rejecting or being indifferent towards what God has said concerning Jesus Christ, you, think about the magnitude of this. You are literally saying to the source of all truth, who has all knowledge, wisdom, power and authority and is actually giving you breath right now so that you're still alive, you are actually saying to him, you're a liar. What you said isn't true. The word liar there in the Greek means deceiver. You're trying to deceive me. What, do you want me to join some cult? You are one who misleads me. Hey, question. Look up here for a moment, loved ones. Love seeing you take notes, but I want to see your eyes for a sec. Are you really sure you want to do that? Just think about it. Are you really sure you want to do that face to face with the Lord? Because as I said, in this opening prayer, we have the choice right now to do that. One day when Jesus Christ comes back, which is coming very quickly, you won't have the choice anymore. You will bow and say it then and testify to who he is. And then it will be too late. This is where everything hangs. Who do you say Jesus is? And look at society today. We see this in society today, don't we? Many people say they believe in God. 
I believe there's a God. 68% of Canadians, remember that stat from the UN I gave you from last October? 68% of Canadians call themselves Christians. 68%, roughly 20-some million. And so they say, I believe in God, but they, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of the world. Don't, don't all roads lead to the same God? Aren't there many ways to get to heaven? No, because we have to realize this. There is only one God, and he has spoken, and it is completely inconsistent. Think about this. Think it through to its logical end, loved ones. It's completely inconsistent to profess belief in God and disbelieve what he says. It's completely inconsistent to say, I believe there's a God, but I'm not going to believe the testimony of what he says. It doesn't match up. And look at verse 11 and 12. Here's what's at stake. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this, is, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, John makes it so clear, does not have life. John states it so clearly that the testimony that God has given us, that is evidenced by all his witnesses... These three and all of the people that saw them is that he gave us eternal life and this life is in his son, Jesus Christ, and no one else. And notice the key word there in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave. Circle gave. That is massive. That changes everything. He gave. You know what the Greek word is there? Offered. He offered something freely as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't earn eternal life. You can't earn... Well, if I start going to church regularly, then, you know, God will look on me. Not going to happen. Well, if I just start being nicer to my wife and kids, not going to happen. Well, I just start doing nice things for people, not going to happen. You can't earn merit because salvation is a gift. He gave, he offered it, and he's offering it to you today. He's offering it to you. He gave us a gift and is only found in his son Jesus Christ by repenting of your sin and confessing him as your Lord and Savior and entering into a personal relationship with him. That is how you receive it. You don't have to clean yourself up. How could God ever take me? Here's why. Because he loves you. Person sitting right there, wondering why you're here, wondering who Jesus is, he loves you and his love compelled him to send his only son to die for you so that you would have eternal life in him. He's given you all the evidence you will need. And it will always stand up to scrutiny every time. How will you respond to that? John 14, 6, Jesus says this out of the words of his mouth. He says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way. There are not many ways. That way is singular. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That word accept, you know what? It hit me this morning in my sermon review. It has literally eternity hanging off of that word. Except through me. That's it. All roads do not lead to where Jesus only can lead. Whoever has the Son has life eternal life that can never be taken away from them. In contrast, if you don't have life, what do you have? Whoever does not have the Son of God, who has rejected Jesus Christ, does not have life, you have spiritual death. Spiritual death. 
What is death? Eternal punishment separated from God in hell for eternity. Whoever has the Son has life. It's just so clear. Whoever denies them doesn't have life. Have you received it? God has testified to us about his Son, Jesus Christ. You must receive his testimony through his witnesses and you must believe in his Son for eternal life. So getting back to the original question of the message today. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Who do you believe he is now? Do you believe that he's the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world? And if so, have you repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior that you may have eternal life in him? And if not, I'm just gonna say it this way. If not, just ask yourself the question, what more will it take? What more? The evident, this is God's own testimony of who his son is. If we can't accept the testimony of God Almighty himself, whose testimony will you accept? What, what will it take? Where will you go? God's testimony about his son isn't changing. Why? Here's, here's why. This is going to put a torpedo in a lot of our popular thinking and culture today. God's testimony about his son isn't changing because God is truth, and I will say this, truth is not relative. God's truth is not relative based on what culture wants to think it says. It doesn't change. Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. It's right there. You can do that in the quietness of your seat right now. As your heart is like, okay, something's, something's legitimate about this. What's going on here? Don't dismiss that. Don't just walk out here and say, well, maybe I'll get there next Sunday. Stay and do business with God. You are not here by accident. He's like, I love you. I gave my life for you. You want to choose to receive it? Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And there will be people up here at the front, leaders up here at the front to want to pray for you and talk about that, about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your eternal destination could literally be different today. And if you don't want to come up to the front, you think, well, people will judge me or whatever. In the quietness of you, there's no script. You say, Jesus Christ, I need you to open my eyes to see it. I repent of my sin and confess you as my Lord and Savior. And if you have received him, hey, Christians, brothers and sisters, here's your challenge. Are you living with daily awe and deep thanksgiving that God in his mercy chose to save you and give you eternal life in him? Is that a regular awe factor in your life that God chose you before the foundation of the world to be his son or daughter? That floored me this week. Again, why? Why, Lord? What is there good about me? Nothing. Love compelled him to do it. Are we living with that awe? Or has this truth just become familiar to you? Has indifference replaced urgency and passion that we are called to live with? Has formality replaced passion and 
urgency with which we share the gospel and live that out in our families, in our classroom, in our marriages, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, in how we serve in the church, the greatest instrument, institution of all time that God has established to proclaim and advance his gospel through. What are we doing with the urgency in the church? Carl talked about harvest kids to see the next generation that they would know that eternal life is in the sun. What are we doing with it? We've been entrusted with it. Is there an urgency in you, a God-given urgency? If not, ask, and he'll give it. The zeal for the house of the Lord consumed him, and it will consume us. How will you respond to this glorious truth today? The testimony of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the attentiveness with which you have brought. Lord, I pray right now you would be doing a confirming work. Those that are saved, you would confirm again the joy of salvation, the urgency that that calls us to, the passion that it calls us to, the faithfulness that it calls us to, to see that lived out in the gospel advance that others may come to know you. Lord, I pray for a confirming work in the hearts of those who are here and they're like, I haven't believed this. How do I know this is true? I pray right now, you would be opening eyes to see and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. It is I, do not be afraid. Lord, have your way. And as we sing this last song about the declaration of our faith, this is what we believe. I pray, God, we would sing that with passion to our faithful, almighty, powerful God whose word Even though heaven and earth will pass away, his word will remain. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.